finishing today a series called Identity and Mission, where we've been looking at who we are as a church and what we're supposed to be doing here. And not just answering that in a static way, but really inviting you to help shape that vision for the next three to five years. That's, tend to, that's how I tend to think in terms of church leadership in three to five year segments. And today what I want to look at is the mission of a member. Now I want to be clear right off the hop that when I use the term member this morning, I'm not necessarily referring to the uh, kind of the uh, legalese term where like you have formally entered into church membership. That's a separate conversation that flows out of what we're going to talk about today. Uh, But I want you to hear the word member in the way, in more the colloquial way of saying someone who's very committed to a local church. So a church member is someone who uh, is seriously committed to engaging God's mission in and through the local church. So I just want to make that clear right away. So when I'm talking about the mission of a member, it's what is mine to do as someone who is committed to advancing God's mission and priorities through the church that I'm a part of. So I want to talk about two things today. I want to kind of give a theological foundation for, in response to the question, do Christians even really need to join a church? Like, obviously you can, but do you, like, do you need to do it? Is it necessary? Is it really that big of a deal? And then, um, spoiler alert, I'm going to say yes. A B part is five ways, actually six ways, that you can be an awesome member of this church. So I'm going to kind of do part one and part two. I've got to move fast because next week I'm not here. We're doing a pulpit swap, swap with Balfour. So Jason's going to be here preaching. I'm going to be over there. And then the next week, we're going to be starting a series that I'm very excited about, preaching through the first 11 chapters of Genesis. It's going to be really, really fascinating and deeply, deeply relevant to the times in which we live, and uh, you're not going to want to miss it. So if you were like, oh, November, I was going to stay home and just drink tea and watch Netflix, don't. Push that back to Sunday night, prioritize Sunday morning. It's going to be really, really there's going to be something for everybody, I'm telling you. It's, I've learned and grown so much in preparation for that series. Okay, so let's start with a question that I'm going to kind of move through fairly quickly. I'm going to give some theological foundations to. I've referenced a lot of the scriptures that I'm going to be alluding to, but I'm going to sort of presume this isn't uh, tremendously controversial for most people here, given that you're here. And what I'm going to do instead is allow you to follow up with the specific verses and really kind of tease it out for yourself. But it's important when we talk about this question of identity and mission to grapple with the question, do Christians need to join a church? Do they need to be like a serious engaged member? And I would say yes. And here are a few reasons why. Number one, I would say joining a church is biblical. Membership is inferred throughout the New Testament. The, the, the idea that there is a Christian who's kind of has an opportunity to get together with other Christians in a pretty um, serious way, but they just choose not to for whatever reason, that's alien and foreign t- to the entire New Testament. Wherever you see letters being written and gospels being preached and people coming to faith, they are engaging their faith in and through a critical mass of other believers, right? Acts 2 is a pretty... A standard go-to verse, right? All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need, and every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. 
So it wasn't even once a week. It was as they had opportunity, they would just get together to pray together, to worship together, to learn together, to encourage one another. Ephesians 4 says that Jesus gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith. So there are these spiritual gifts that are meant to equip large groupings of people so that they go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus. So this grouping together, of gathering together, this ecclesia, which is where we get the word church from, this sort of polis, this political gathering, who are coming together to say, what does it mean to serve King Jesus in the world that wasn't just a pastor going to each individual per person and having an individual Bible study, it was doing it together. Ephesians 5, when Paul instructs the Ephesians to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and to make music to, uh, from your heart to the Lord and give thanks together, again, that presumes that you're meeting together. Obviously, it wouldn't have looked like meeting in a church building because there weren't any church buildings in the establishment of the church because the church is the gathered people of God. But being part of the church, seeing yourself as somehow in Christ connected to this larger family was just the de facto position for Christians. And it was reinforced through all the New Testament writings. And that brings to us to the second point, which is that joining a church honors Christ. Taking that step is a real tangible expression of spiritual reality. It helps us to declare publicly not only that we are a Christian to the outside world, but that we are in this to those around us, right? It, it's a, when you have someone saying, I'm here, I'm committing to this, that allows people to kind of relax into, oh, okay, like they're in this, as opposed to, are they kind of on the fence? Are they kind of fair weather attender or participant? What's going on here? And when we commit to each other, that honors Christ. Ephesians 2 says, Jesus' purpose through the church was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles, but he's saying the point of the church is to bring people together that at that time would have preferred just to stay apart and done life according to their own agenda. Now in Jesus, you have a new agenda. You move forward together. Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Right? You can't I would argue you can't profess to love Jesus deeply and be committed to Jesus deeply and then be indifferent or dismissive towards the church. That is just oil and water. It doesn't mix theologically. To be committed to Jesus is to be committed to his bride. And again, I'm, I, my eyes are fully wide open. I understand the complexities and the dysfunctions and the challenges that come from loving a community of sinners being redeemed by Jesus. But it's still our call. Hebrews 10.24, let us consider how we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. So joining a church is also missional. We just accomplish more together. We're better together. There's a mysterious synergy that emerges when we labor and serve together, when we pool our resources together of time, talent, and energy. Romans 12 says, in Christ, we, though we're many, we actually form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. So if your gift is prophesying, then prophecy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encourage, uh, then encouragement. 
then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So there's a sense in which we come together, we identify our gifts, and then we partner with each other in using those gifts to serve and bless each other and to serve and bless the world. Ephesians 2 says, We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. We tend to read that individualistically. I'm God's handiwork, and there are things that God has given for me to do. There's a plan and purpose for my life. That is true. I wouldn't disagree with that. But that's a secondary inference to this verse. We are God's handiwork. We are created in Christ, and God is working in and through us to do a good work. There are things that God has prepared for us to do as a church. And if you're not committed to the church or to this church or to any church, you can't be a part of that Ephesians 2 vision. Joining the church fosters spiritual growth. Making a commitment to be a member of a church is an important part of the progress of faith and growth and maturity in Christ. We commit to Christ, and then as part of that commitment, we commit to Christ's family. And again, I understand we are not joining a perfect family. We are joining a family of sinners in process, sinners who are taking on new life and learning that their identity is no longer sinners, that we are now defined by Christ's righteousness, and we are learning to walk away from the pattern and power of sin and death and into Christ's love and grace and new purposes for us. But that journey is bumpy. And there are agenda conflicts and personality conflicts. But just like a healthy family, instead of avoiding those conversations and continuing to distance ourselves, either relationally or emotionally or even physically, we gain courage and power by God's Spirit to lean into one, un, lean into one another, care for one another, forgive one another, speak gently to one another, learn to treat each other as trusted family. John 13, Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, I want you to love one another. He's speaking specifically to his inner circle, the disciples. He says, as I have loved you, I want you to love one another. Because by this, everyone is going to know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. How can you love one another in the way that Jesus loved his disciples if you're not meaningfully engaged in and through a local Christian community? I don't know how you can do and again, Jesus isn't naive. He's saying, as I've loved you, you inner circle who've journeyed with me for years, and a lot of my time is spent breaking up fights between you and teaching you how to forgive each other and teaching you how to get on the same page. That's the way you now have to learn to love each other. So Jesus um, isn't sending us into something that he hasn't done himself. But if we're just atomized Christians who are saying, I don't need the church. I'm kind of past that. It's, it's a, too much drama and uh, I can't be bothered. It just My spiritual life is just made much more efficient by being able to just kind of like do my devotions with Jesus, go about my way. Um, I don't know how you could ever fulfill this command of Jesus. We need to be involved. In, there has to be some level of overlap and care in each other's lives. Joining the church is countercultural. And it teaches us how to love each other deeply and well. When you make a choice to become a committed member to a church, to really engage, you are swimming against a cultural current that says, um, 
that not just says, but encourages you to think of all of your relationships at a transactional level. So I commit to this relationship and I'm willing to invest in this relationship as long as there's an appropriate return on investment. And in all kinds of ways, we're being seduced into thinking that way about friendships, our marriages, our jobs, our community and civic commitments. And the church, right from the start, has said, no, that isn't the way of love. That is, <laughs> that is the opposite of love. That is using people. Now, maybe it's a... Um, yeah, it, it, it's using people, right? It's saying, I will love you and be committed to you so long as it doesn't really begin to cost me anything. Which runs completely counter to the gospel narrative of Jesus who lays down his life for us and uh, who everything is taken from. But he does it, why? Because we're so good? No, because we're broken, we're in need. We need rescue, we need redemption, we need new life, we need new hope. And so that Philippians 2 pattern of Jesus emptying himself of his riches in order to make us spiritually rich in him has to kind of be reverse engineered into our context and say, oh, maybe I shouldn't go through life just um, curating my experiences based on what makes me happy, what makes me comfortable, what makes life progressively easier for me. Maybe I need to understand a deeper and richer way to love. And as a pastor who in a really, um, I feel very blessed to be a pastor. One of the great things about being a pastor is that you're kind of like, you're going to have to show up every Sunday. You're going to have to be involved in a lot of things behind the scenes. You, th there's just this good external pressure to be involved, and it's really taught me in a lot of ways to love God and to love people much better than I would have if probably left to my own uh, devices and desires in my early 20s to simply go to church and what are they talking about in the message? Or what's this series? Oh, that's not interesting to me. I'll do the next series. And kind of just, again, arrange your life according to what you think you need and what you think is best for you. Which, as you get older, I hope we all slowly begin to realize we're very bad at anticipating what we actually need and what is actually good for us. What's good for us is to be held in community, loving each other and committing to each other and going through the wonderful and difficult times that come with that. Galatians 6.2, carry each other's burdens because in this way you will fulfill the law or the teachings of Christ. How do you carry burdens of people um, when your priority is making sure that you're friends with people, like obviously you're like committed, but not to the point that it infringes upon you. Like to carry a burden is to be infringed upon. It's to say this is something heavy that someone else is carrying and I'm going to take it upon myself. And that act will burden me. But I want to do that because I don't want this person to carry that by themselves. So when we're committed to a church, in the best sense of the word, we're kind of held in this crucible that teaches us to love deeply, not just with words, but in action. Not just in aspirations, but when the rubber meets the road through heartache and joy and seasons of apathy and huge victories and all of the um, swirling scenarios that exist for people following Jesus and living out their faith. Now, there's more that could be said about that, but that's probably the least that should be said. It's very important for me to pe for people to understand that I think if you are a Christian, you should be a member of a church. Now again, I, 
we can have a separate conversation about, do you mean like sign in the dotted line membership? I think there are some good reasons. You can talk about them in your small groups this week, but maybe why that isn't for everybody. So I want to leave the, le- the legal kind of portion behind it. I just want to talk about this New Testament vision for being a committed, solid, engaged member of the congregation. If you're a Christian, I think that is a, a, a standard call for everybody. That's the default position. So you may be grappling with how you engage as a member. Totally get that. But if you're a Christian, I would submit that you shouldn't be grappling with whether or not to be a member. It's just a matter of what does that look like for me? Not going to do this or not. Does that, does that make sense? Nod for yes. Shake your head for no. Yeah, okay. So that brings me to my Next and final list, which are the six traits of awesome members. Because my presumption is, as a Christian, you want to be an important, life-giving, energizing, um, significant part and contributor to the church that you're part of. Um, I know we might slip into times where we are overwhelmed by different commitments and priorities, and, when, and that might slip, but in our best moments, that's our intention. That's, that's what I'm presuming. Is that a fair presumption to make? Yes, no, yeah. And in your best moments, right? You're like, I want to be a meaningfully contributing like, member to this church. I want to matter to this church. I want to matter through this church. And so I just did some thinking around What are the traits that I've noticed over the years of people who are awesome, awesome members, right? No one, no one wants to be like that caricature of the church curmudgeon that's really a millstone around the church's neck, right? We want to be people who are helping things move forward, creating a great culture of challenging and inspiring one another in Christ. We want to be a desire, we desire to be a channel of blessing to those around us. So what does that look like? So this is my six traits for awesome members. Number one, awesome members have realistic but gracious expectations of other people in the church. They have realistic but gracious expectations of other people. And one thing that I haven't talked about in a while, but someone reminded me of it this week, and I was like, oh, that's a good thing to remind people of, is the 2-1-1 principle. I talked about this way back in the day when I first came. And it's the idea that just as a general pattern, just be aware of this in your own life. Generally speaking, whenever you engage something four times, two times are going to be like, that's good. Like five or six out of ten, solid, like, it's good. One will be, womp, womp, that was just not that great. Let's just be honest. And one will be amazing. And the reason why this is important in terms of expectations is often what people presume is that through their engagement in church or engagement in life as a Christian, almost every day should be awesome. Or at least it should be like a flip-flop between every day's awesome and some days are like good, solid, but then it goes back to being awesome the next day. And the pattern that I have found helpful in my life in terms of setting my calibration, whether it's showing up to church on Sunday morning, engaging in a small group, connecting with your spouse, hanging out with a friend after church, whatever it is, the pattern tends to be one out of four times will be awesome, easy, flow, magical, wonderful. Wish every Sunday could be like that. Wish every sermon could be like that. 
wish all of our talks could be like that. Two are solid, okay. And one is just like, that just didn't work. There was either tension or it just awkward and weird and that's just life. And an awesome member understands that, right? They're not expecting to show up every Sunday and have it blow their minds. They're not, they're not showing up to a small group and saying, this group has to be amazing all the time, otherwise I'm jettisoning it. They have realistic expectations. They're gracious with one another. Number two, awesome members understand that a church is more like an aircraft carrier than a cruise ship. How many of you have been on a cruise ship? Yeah. I don't know if you guys remember Heather and I's awful honeymoon story where the place burned down and we didn't really get a honeymoon, but four years later we saved up and we went on a cruise ship. And the difference between an aircraft carrier and a cruise ship is pretty substantial. Right? An aircraft carrier is completely built around equipping. It's, it's run very tight, lean, efficient, and it has a larger mission. It's, not, it's, a, it's a means to a, a greater missional end. But a cruise ship is just about absorption. Come to us, relax, this is about you. An aircraft carrier, you step on an aircraft carrier, which I've never done, but I've seen enough videos to realize, you realize when you step on that aircraft carrier, this whole project is not about you. There's a much bigger mission in play. You step on a cruise ship, everything is designed to reinforce the idea that this is about you. And an awesome member realizes that while there's going to be lots of personal direct blessings from being a part of the church, they don't approach Sunday morning or small groups or relationships with other people like a cruise ship, where they're like, what are you doing for me? How are you enhancing my life? How are you making me happy? They are approaching things from saying, this is an aircraft carrier. We're coming here on Sunday morning in order to be equipped and inspired to go out into our everyday lives and be on mission for Jesus. And if the sermon is completely at odds with where I'm at and didn't resonate at all, that wasn't a wasted service at all. I learned something new about God's word. I got a chance to connect with people. I was able to set up some uh, coffee conversations through the week. I was reminded of someone that I need to pray for, right? It changes your entire outlook. And awesome members are people who hold that in their mind, that this is an aircraft carrier. Like, we're together on mission, and we're not here to just make our own priorities and our own desires, number one. Number three, they create more of the culture that they want. And what I mean by that is, instead of criticizing and calling out the church or these people for not being this or too much of this or not enough of that, uh, not, saying, not saying that that's ever wrong, but the vast majority of their time is spent creating the culture that they want to see, right? And so a simple one would be, you can show up on Sunday morning, look around, leave, and then say, oh, like I went there, and it's, it's an okay church and stuff, but it's not very welcoming. It's not really, no one said hi to me. No one invited me over for lunch. That might be true. Maybe it's not a welcoming church. But an awesome member shows up and says, even if that's true, even if this isn't a welcoming church, what could I do to make it more welcoming? I could do that. I could invite someone. I could take the risk and go up to someone. And when you have a critical mass of people doing that, creating the culture, 
right? Andy Crouch in his book, Culture Making, he says, the only way to change a culture is to create more of it. Meaning you don't critique your way out of a bad culture. You live into a better one, right? The best criticism of the bad is the practice of the better. And so awesome members look for opportunities not to scapegoat non-involvement on church leadership or these people or my small group or whatever, they take responsibility and say, what could I do if this is important to me, if hospitality is important to me, if generosity is important to me, if just general friendliness and people hanging out after church is important to me, what, state, what steps can I take to help facilitate that? And then because they're committed, they don't do that for two weeks and say, oh, pff, not working. They stay for two years and allow that culture to slowly be built Number four, they are focused on their own spiritual health and vibrancy. They're focused most of their energy on personal pursuit of Christ, right? They're not um, policing other people's spiritual journey. They're not busybodies. They're people who are saying, yeah, when I'm in a relationship with people, we can have frank and honest conversations about certain things, especially in my home group or in core relationships that I have. But I'm focusing on pursuing Jesus myself. And instead of getting caught in the game of confessing other people's sins, I'm going to confess my own sins. I'm going to make sure I'm removing the log out of my own eye before I worry about the neighbor in my speck's eye. So there's a real gracious humbleness there. They are pursuing holiness in Christ. They're praying regularly for the church. They're participating in the life of the church. They're promoting unity. Number five, awesome members look for ways to serve proactively. They discover and understand what their spiritual gifts are, and if they're not sure, they just try stuff with a heart to serve and help people. Because if you try stuff with a heart to serve and help people, that's never going to go wrong. The worst case scenario is, I know you're trying to be a blessing in this context. You're not really a blessing, but you are a blessing in this context, so let's shift you over here. And I've had that happen to me, where I'm like, could I help here? And I try and help, and I'm maybe not that much of a help, but then people see the heart, and they redirect you to a place so you can be fruitful. So awesome members look for ways to serve proactively. They engage in discipleship opportunities that help them be more faithful. And they're growing. And they're not waiting to be asked. They're um, just, there's an eagerness there to anticipate needs and then to say, maybe I could help with that. Maybe I could phone that person. Maybe I could follow up with that. Maybe I could start that. That's really, really encouraging when that kind of culture gets created in a church, where instead of kind of passively waiting for leadership to say, here's what you can do, people instead are looking around and saying, oh, here's an opportunity. There's three other people over here who have that same heart. Why don't we get together over coffee and talk about how some, what, what an experimental um, kind of ministry plan might look like for the next, let's just try something for the next two months, three months. Some of the best stuff I've ever had the privilege of pastorally guiding and directing has come from congregations of people who have hearts about things and they're like, and in the best sense of the word, they're not waiting for the church or leadership to give vision and leadership to it. They do it. And Freedom Session is an awesome example of that. Huge high impact ministry that comes from Jan's heart to bless and serve those who are walking in brokenness and darkness. And number six, awesome members are eager to support the mission of the church, right? They, 
their hearts, they're training themselves, they're growing, they're challenging themselves to lean into generosity instead of consumption. And they're beginning to discover that um, the deeper they lean into generosity, the more they prioritize honoring God with their time and their talent and their treasure, uh, not just in and through the church, but in and through their whole life, that that is actually bringing them life. That it's not from consuming more things necessarily or more experiences, but it's about deepening the richness and depth of our experiences by looking for ways to love people and to sacrifice uh, for their benefit. And so awesome members are people who give regularly of their time and finances and talent, and they're actively participating in congregational decision-making, and they're inviting uh, non-Christian friends to church, and they're looking for opportunities to love and serve the community that they're a part of. They're just eager to support the mission to the church. Again, they see themselves as stakeholders. They aren't just attendees. They're members. It's like a, we're like a body. We're all in this together. We're moving forward. And that's exciting to them. So do Christians need to be part of a church? I would say yes. And a big part of that is for you to hear that like you belong here. It's really important that you are part of this community. I mean, if you think about all of our life's journeys and stories and the twists and turns they could have taken, and right now in 2019, God has collected this group of people in this church today to be a part of this movement to move forward in mission, that's kind of cool. But that means that no one is here by accident. No one is here by chance. We are being invited to take a deeper step in terms of understanding what it means in this context to be family, to be caring for one another, to be challenging one another, to be growing together, to be leaning on each other. And that's why it's important for, for you, if you are a Christian, to say, I want to be a member of a church. Maybe it's not this church. Maybe it's another church. But you've got to be a member of a church. You've got to dig in. Because any church family is stronger when people are present and they're engaged. But don't just be present. Like, make it your ambition to be awesome. Say, like, I'm going to be an awesome member. And let's be awesome together. And not awesome in just an arbitrary way where we look at what we're doing and saying, hey, wow, we're awesome. Awesome in the literal sense of being awesome because what we're doing is bringing glory to God and exalting Him and forwarding His purposes and supporting and caring for one another and extending hope to those around us and to each other and to walking out of darkness by following Jesus together and pointing other people to him so they can walk out of darkness because that is our mission and that is our identity. And so let's commit to that identity and mission together. Let's pray.